This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. I am Stephen Bradford Long. I am here with my very dear old friend, Danielle King. Say hello, Danielle. Hello. So we have been friends for how long now? Uh, what? Oh, gosh. We became friends in... When I was 14 years old. Yeah. And I'm 29 yeah. now. So 15 years, at least. If, at least mm-hmm. 15 years. Yeah. Uh, so today we are doing an Ask Me Anything episode. I have collected questions from the internet, from readers and listeners and friends and Danielle and I are going to answer them to the best of our ability. Now, we have not prepared for these questions at all. (laughs) So (laughs) if we sound like idiots, that's why. Just a side note before we get started, the format for the show, the way it's looking is there's kind of going to be this rotating circus act of guest hosts, co-hosts. And so, of course, you have heard the four-part series with Matt Langston of the band Eleventy Seven. He has done all the music for the show, and we uh, had a four-part series talking about the Nashville statement, and that was a lot of fun. And so, this week I have Danielle on. I'm hoping to have a lot of other awesome people on, and um, that's that's kind of how it's going to be for now. So sometimes it's going to be another co-host, a, a recurring co-host. Sometimes it'll just be me, or sometimes it'll be me and and. Uh, It'll be me interviewing someone way smarter than me. With that, uh, let's go ahead and get into some questions from listeners. Do you want to read that first one, Danielle? Uh, Sure. This one says, how do you personally maintain relationship and love someone with polar opposite beliefs to you without disengaging or backing off? but also keeping your own mental health and sanity. And this one comes from Grace. From Ireland. Ah, She's become a a pretty good friend. Oh, I wish you'd told me that. I would have read it in an accent. You can read it in an accent. Go ahead. How do you personally maintain relationship and love someone with polar opposite beliefs to you without disengaging (laughs) or backing off, but also keeping your own mental health and sanity? Sorry, Grace. I gave you a Dublin accent because I don't know where you're from. Okay. So Grace can be the judge. She can give you like... Right, marks five <laughs> marks on that. Okay, so I'm. It's too early in the morning to for questions like these. Right, I'm gearing this is it. a heavy question. Yeah. <laughs> it is a heavy question to start out with. Okay, how would you? Oh gosh. Uh, well, well, okay. So I, <laughs> so I have. I actually have an insight on this. Okay. Um. So when John and I first started dating, uh, my current partner. Jonathan, when we first started dating, we were ideologically very different, where I was kind of coming out of conservatism, and he had always been liberal, and he was a liberal Catholic, he was a liberal Jesuit novice, and he'd always just had a much more expansive, all-embracing view of the world. He had a very different view of scripture than I did, whereas I was kind of on my way out of conservatism, but was still working through it and and still had a lot of trappings from that. And and especially my very Protestant belief in the in like um in the authority of scripture. And I had I I viewed scripture in a very different way than John did. And that was actually a huge source of confrontation for us early in our relationship where he had a very open view of scripture. He had this enormous respect for scripture, for the Bible, whereas I saw it in a much more kind of Calvinist Protestant light. And that was a massive conflict for us. The, the way we worked through that was we talked it out respectfully. At times it got kind of heated, but we talked it out respectfully. What also did it was I was able to see the sincerity of what he believed. And I realized that it wasn't that he disrespected scripture. There was this moment when we were both at a church and the pastor asked him to read uh, the opening passage from the Gospel of St. John. And Jonathan 
was like, but I'm not ordained. I'm not a priest. I can't hmm. do that. Can't read the gospel. I can't aloud. read the gospel yeah. aloud to a congregation because mm-hmm. that is so sacred. That is so holy. I can't. Mm-hmm. And he and he ended up doing it, but it was with some like fear and trembling. This was at Jesus people. Okay. Yeah. And and when I saw that, when I saw that he had that kind of reverence for the Bible that deep love and respect for the Bible, I was able to meet him there. So the way I did it with my partner was I saw the reverence he has and the sincerity of it, and that allowed me to work through my own knots. Hmm. I don't know. That was the first thing that... That that came to your mind. That was the first thing that came to mind. Maybe Hmm. Grace is talking about dealing with with very conservative christian friends i don't i don't know well and and grace's question is is a really good one <laughs> super hard uh i think for me depends on what their my relationship to that person is um if we're a friend and so have like lots of interests like maybe other interests in common uh i would say try to keep your emotional bank account full <laughs> like try to have you know interactions that maybe don't have to do with those things that those things that you disagree about you know and and hopefully that can happen organically but maybe set up some boundaries uh, or even if they're not you know a peer if they are some sort of you know maybe they're an older relative or maybe just try to maybe have some boundaries and say today we're going to go apple picking and we're not going to talk about this <laughs> like maybe agree beforehand and that do they might have seem... apples in in ireland I, I hope so i hope so I hope so very much i really yeah. hope that they go on this really picturesque <laughs> right apple picking expedition apple in picking the green expedition. hills of ireland anyway yes um you know what i mean like you might need you might need to establish some boundaries i found that to be kind of helpful and if that that can't happen organically you might need to you might need to sit down and mm. and kind of say like yes sometimes we can talk about this but maybe sometimes we shouldn't um you know another another thing that just came to me along the lines of boundaries is and this is a rule that i have put down for myself is i have just given up trying to control people that too and yeah. so when we have really really difficult relationships with people who we love but who mm-hmm. differ from us theologically or politically or whatever, maybe a good question to ask is, are we trying to control their beliefs? Mm-hmm. And if so, we stop just, it. yeah, just, <laughs> we have to stop it. We just have to, yeah. as hard as that is, we just have mm-hmm. to let that go and admit and accept that we are powerless over the beliefs of others. Mm-hmm. And when I stop trying to control other people and just listen to them, just have honest oh. conversations with them and not not try to change their mind, but really approach debate as I'm just trying to understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. I'm not expecting to change your mind. I'm just trying to learn. Yeah. When I have that perspective, suddenly a lot of the teeth are taken out of it. it it's suddenly a lot less fraught. Yeah. Well, I think I think one of the keys for me is respect. And so some components of respect are not trying to control, are, are listening, genuinely listening to someone else. And, uh, and here's, here's where it gets really tough because this really is a two-way street. You can offer the other person respect and ask that they give it back to you, but you can't make them. And so if yes. they're not going to respect you, then unfortunately your hell your mental health and sanity or however you put it are not are going to suffer they're not exactly they're not gonna do well if yeah. it is not a mutually so if it if yeah. if that two-way street isn't open mm-hmm. then there are going to be it's issues and then back yeah. away insofar as it lies with you you know yeah. show respect have some boundaries um but bear in mind that like the other person might not will be willing to do the same thing exactly are there are there any other thoughts? I'm just trying. Yeah, so, I, I think mean, that I about covers that one. I get asked this all, all the time, all the time, <laughs> because I am surrounded oh. by people who disagree with me. Mm-hmm. And yeah, this is maybe the question I get asked the most often. Mm-hmm. I think I have learned two things: a, as I mentioned before, to not try to control other people, and b, to have a litmus test. For what I should be threatened by. Yeah. And my litmus test goes like this. Do you want to hurt me? Mm-hmm. Do you have the power to limit my freedoms in any way? Like actually substantially. Actually yeah. substantially. <laughs> can you get me fired? Can, can you? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you get me fired for being gay? Can you 
uh, exert some kind of power over my life? Can you uh, manipulate me in any way? Can you, am I really under your thumb in, in any way? Well, it usually I'm at, I am at the point in my life where I have enough privilege and enough stability to say most of those things are not true in mm -hmm. 99% of the encounters I come across. Yeah. In which case, I'm like, I just don't give a fuck what you believe. <laughs> right. And we're both old enough and sort of stable enough even to be able to say to our parents, like, yeah. if you can respect me, then I will be in relationship with you. Exactly. If not, then we might just have to see each other twice a year. I mean, now, mm -hmm. if... It, you know, if you're a teenager, I, my tune is different. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you're or if you're an adult in a very oppressive situation, then my tune mm -hmm. is different. But for me personally, the way I survive these encounters is a by not trying to control other people and b having a really clear litmus test of what I should be threatened by. If I didn't have that litmus test, I would just be crushed. I would just kill myself because every homophobic thing that I would hear would would yeah. get to me. You no, know, that's a really good point. Like, it's important to try to remember, and it can be hard, but it's important to try to remember that just because someone disagrees with you doesn't mean that they can, that they are actually actively hurting you. Exactly. Yeah. But there, there's also nuance to that because sometimes mm -hmm. words do hurt, especially when you are surrounded by them and you don't have a loving community. And so, yeah. again, that it's complicated, but that's where I am with that. Maybe we'll get more thoughts on that later, but we can move on. <laughs> yeah. Good question, Grace. Yes. Very good question. So we have another question from Grace. I'll, I'll read this one. Cool. What do you value most in the church and why do you stay? Huh. That's a great question. That's a really good question. That's a really great Dang, question. Grace. All right. <laughs> huh. You can hear the rain pattering in the background. I love it. It's I love I hope that I hope that the ambient sound in this podcast is uh pleasant and soothing we're yeah. in this gigantic rainstorm right now in our creaky old wooden house <laughs> so it's very cozy oh. right now mm. all right but grace's question okay the most honest answer that i can give is i don't know hmm. you know when it really gets down to it i get asked this a lot and the most honest answer i can give is i don't know there's something about the Christian community. And, and I mean, to be clear, I'm kind of on the margins of it. I don't regularly go to church. I usually work. I'm Actually, I'm usually working on this podcast Sunday morning, frantically scrambling to get it out get it on together. Monday, yeah. get it together or working on a blog post or I'm at work. But I do still love liturgy. I love... I don't know. Church offers me something very unique that I have not yet found out, out in the world. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that thing is, and I don't know why, but that's just the way it is for me. Yeah. Church is, um, oh boy, church. Why do we stay? What was the full question again? What do you find in the church and why what, do you stay? What do you value mm. most in the church? Ooh. Why do you stay Okay, so value most and why do I stay? That's that's probably is the same answer to both questions. Like what I value most is probably also why I stay. Mm. Um, because I'm human and I need other humans. Yeah. When I'm talking to God. Like Yeah. That's really that's really what it comes down to. I need a community to bring me out of myself. Um, you know, scripture talks about how you know the christian life is meant to be lived in a body and even when that gets really really hard almost especially when that gets really really hard i think it is really good for us mm, how do you mean really hard well there's a there's a community of believers that's not my home church that for oh gosh as long as steven and i have known each other i've interacted with this community of believers and uh you know 90 percent 90% of this group's theology, I absolutely agree with. I love their mission. I love what they do. Uh, they do a lot of really scriptural teaching. They reach out to a lot of young people and a lot of communities uh, that maybe it's, it's specifically about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And I, again, about 90% of what this ministry does, I've been involved with, I've volunteered for them. I've worked really closely with them, formed relationships with the people there. And 
recently they took a very strong stance on well the way that they the way that they phrased it was christian marriage and and sort of passed around a statement of faith that anyone who wants to join the ministry at a deeper level has to affirm and it, it said, you know, Christian marriage is between one man and one woman. And without unpacking all of the interesting side issues there, I could not affirm that statement of faith. And it, it really hurt. It really did. But I don't plan to cut all ministerial ties with this ministry. Hopefully not. Yeah. But essentially, and the way that they phrased it, you know, calling on saying, saying Orthodox Christianity requires a person to believe this so basically i was called a heretic by a community that i really value and have done a lot of things with and really admire Mm. by people who have been my mentors in the faith um and that's a really hard cognitive dissonance goodness it's hard oh my god really especially when you believe that what that what they believe is objectively damaging Yes. Which I do. Yes. You know, when when Mm -hmm. you believe that these things that people we love are, mm -hmm. when when Mm -hmm. I believe that people I love are thinking and doing things that are objectively harmful Mm -hmm. to the world. I mean, that's a very hard cognitive dissonance. It really is. It really is. And to have them believe that back at me, you know. Absolutely. And somehow somehow maintain friendship Mm -hmm. in that. Mm-hmm. in that yeah. place you know yeah. this this kind of ties in into the previous it question really does. It of really how does, do you maintain yeah. that relationship with mm-hmm. with people with whom you with people disagree. with whom you you mutually believe that your beliefs and actions are are legitimately damaging yeah i think that most people can't maintain that cognitive dissonance forever i think most people well i don't know about that i think a lot of times we aren't given the tools. Yes, absolutely. And uh, and the really tough thing, of course, is going back and saying that it has to be a two-way street. And so, mm. you know. Mutually respectful. Yeah, yeah, no, that is that is one of the hardest things. You know, one of the things that came up in my series on the Nashville Statement with Matt Langston is there was zero two-way street there where... Mm. The Nashville Statement, for those who don't know, the Nashville Statement was this uh, gathering of evangelical leaders in America all getting together in Nashville and saying, fuck you to the LGBT community. Basically. Essentially. Essentially. Yeah. Not in so many words. Not yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Oh, man, I forget we can cuss on this podcast. We can cuss ah! on. You can. Yes, you can. You can let yourself go, cool. Danielle. And how one of the statements was, we refuse to believe we ref- we do not affirm that this is a topic over which Christians can agree to disagree. Mm-hmm. And Matt, who's straight, was like, okay, this is to me now. This is basically yeah. saying mm-hmm. straight Christians who disagree on this issue, well, you're out too. Mm-hmm. And that is not a two-way street. Not at all. And that... That, t- that there is absolutely no discussion. Yeah, and, and that kind of line in the sand yeah. is, well, if, if they've drawn that boundary, then I guess we can respect it and just move on. Yeah. But I feel like we're we're getting off track. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. What were you saying? I'm sorry. Uh, you were you were telling a story. I I was pretty much done. I uh. guess I guess the the bottom line is I value those relationships. I still respect those people and their faith. They they were uh, mentors of mine and are mentors of mine. Yeah. Um, but it's really hard, and it does hurt. It does hurt. Yeah. And you know something that I want the atheist community and agnostic community and the non-religious communities in general to know about what it's like to grow up religious and this is something that because i really have i really have kind of a foot in both worlds i i have kind of one foot in the skeptical atheist community and then i have one foot in the mystical christian community and that's that's that dissonance that i ride i really want the atheist world to know just how deeply a part of one's life and identity and formation 
being religious truly is and religious community truly is. Especially if you're raised in it. Especially if you're raised in it. It makes up a part of who you are. And that, Mm -hmm. and so it it really isn't a question of leaving or not leaving. It it, usually, it is a question of compromise. What part? It's a question of being. It's a question of being. How do you live? How do you be? How do you Mm -hmm. just exist in this weird dissonance where I feel like a lot of people in our generation who were raised evangelical or raised Catholic or whatever, but are, are leaving aspects of it, we're, we're all having to ask the question of what do we compromise on? What aspects of Christianity do we value and what aspects do we let go of or of our specific Christian culture? And, yeah, and so yeah. it isn't this all or nothing negotiation that I think a lot of uh, the new atheist types say it is. Mm -hmm. I think there's this whole group of people who are somewhere in the middle, and I definitely am. I do not believe the way I used to. I'm far more skeptical than I used to be, but I still value my Christian tradition. And I also acknowledge all of the harms that it's done, mm-hmm. all the way it's all the ways it's limited intellectual freedom and intellectual advances. I I get all of that and I see the tremendous value in it for the world and for me personally. And so it isn't about all or nothing, it's a compromise. And so I guess the question for me has I had to stop asking myself should I leave or should I go? It's like that that Rush song. Should I stay or should I go now? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It isn't that. No. I had to confront the reality that for me, I will always, in, sh- in some shape or form, be a Christian. But I can choose. In what ways do I want to be more of a progressive humanist? In what ways do I want to be be more agnostic and in what ways do I want to be more Christian and you can have that conversation with yourself you can negotiate that with yourself and that will be a different different configuration for every single person I think for me I grew up in a household where my parents were very careful about what they exposed us to and I think from a very early age I thought to myself you know what if this is true then it will still be true no matter what I read, no matter what I watch, no matter what I encounter in the world, Absolutely. this will still be true. Because if, truth is true, truth is no, true matter no matter what. what. That's one of the lessons I internalized from yes. my religious upbringing. Or, or yeah. you know, in the words of Philip um, K. Dick, reality is what continues to exist even after you stop believing in it. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, I, and I figured to myself, if I have to protect my beliefs by not just not looking at things by not encountering things by not engaging with things then that's not a belief worth protecting absolutely and so i think honestly that my skepticism and my 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 openness this sort of new you know new avenues for doubt and exploration and curiosity make me a better christian absolutely and it makes you a better person <laughs> makes me a better person i mean too. one of my formative quotes is from thomas jefferson and he wrote this in a letter to somebody and he says uh, doubt with boldness even the very existence of God. For if there be one, he must surely more approve of the homage of reason than that of blindfolded fear. I would think so. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here's the reality. Being part of a religious tradition is not contrary to that kind of skeptical thinking and rational thinking. You can have both. You may not believe in the even the even in a literal God, but you can still find value and meaning within spiritual traditions. And mm-hmm. so, you know, where I'm at right now, and I've talked about this a lot on the blog, is you know, and it took me a long time to get here. It's basically taken my entire twenties to get here. Is essentially when it comes to external truth claims about. The universe we all live in, I cannot go beyond science. Mm -hmm. And I can hope, I can dearly hope, and I do dearly hope that there is a God. I dearly hope for an afterlife. Uh, But I cannot go beyond the magisterium of science. But I find religion and aspects of religion, I'm deeply drawn to Buddhism, and I feel like my spiritual center is Christianity. 
I find those religious narratives profound inner guiding myths. And to me, that does not, that to me, that doesn't negate them. Mm -hmm. That doesn't make them any less real. You know, kind of the way I see it is that at the very end of Harry Potter and book seven, <laughs> when, when Harry is having that vision of King's mm -hmm. Cross Station and he meets Dumbledore. He asks, is this real? Is this all yeah. in my head? Oh, it's all in my head. There we go. And Dumbledore looks at him and says, of course, it's all in your head. That doesn't mean it it's isn't real. That doesn't mm -hmm. mean it isn't real. Yeah. You know, and I find a lot of peace in that. And I still have mystical experiences. I still pray. And I can hold that with a scientific worldview. And that's okay. You know, mm -hmm. and I and, and so I, th I think that a new configuration of church, of what it means to be Christian in the Western world is going to be evolving because there is this generation of people who are more educated about science and more educated about the world around us than maybe any previous generation before us. And yet at the same time, we still value our religious upbringing. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like in a lot of ways, I was raised in a community that was very sure very sure oh we know we know for sure that x y or z and to me that's not faith that's fundamentalism absolutely and uh and so the, i i believe that scripture does not call us to fundamentalism it calls us to faith and mm. and that doubt is an essential component of yes. faith because it is not the essence of things we know it is the essence of things hoped for hoped for and yeah. and you know that is the part of faith that i really hold mm -hmm. on to no you know? of course i don't know yeah but there are things that i choose to believe there are things that i choose mm -hmm. to believe things that i that i genuinely hope for mm -hmm. and that hope um is a is a motivating vehicle yeah for me it, it it's a it's a vehicle for joy and grace for me mm -hmm. so i that was a very roundabout Gosh. answer <laughs> I have zero. Well, we're just kind of taking these questions yeah. as a launching point for discussion. Yeah. And if we don't directly answer any of the questions, we I'm apologize. sorry. We apologize. <laughs> um, so how about if you read that next question right there at the top okay. from Richard? Where's this person from? Uh, I don't know. He's a, he's a reader on <laughs> okay. Twitter. Uh, any advice? Oh, gosh, it's the same question, essentially. Any advice on uh. how to maintain a relationship with family uh, such as myself? who are non-affirming. Thanks, love your blog and podcast. So Richard, I'm unsure whether you're saying that you are non-affirming and seeking oh, to keep relationships I'm with pretty, people no, I, who are affirming, or if you're saying that you are affirming and you have family who are non-affirming. I'm pretty sure Richard is gay. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure he's one of my gay <laughs> right. listeners. Didn't want to assume, but that would sure. have been an interesting question oh, from, absolutely. The other, from the opposite direction. And we can answer that question too if we want to. I mean, I was going to say, it's, um, it's, it strikes me as being very similar so to theoretical. Grace's first question theoretical non-affirming richard and then actual <laughs> gay affirming uh, richard i feel like we've, like we've that's, that's pretty much grace's first question that is yeah. very much grace's mm -hmm. first question i think one thing that i want to add on is i feel one of the things that i have had to learn in my own journey is that when i'm in enormous anguish over what other people believe that is a signifier that is a symptom that I don't need to run away from or throw myself into. It's something that I just need to sit with mm -hmm. and kind of meditate with and feel and examine. And what I have found for me personally, this isn't saying it's true for Richard or for anyone else. Mm -hmm. What I have found for, for myself is that when I am in that kind of anguish, it is because... There is a distinct lack of security within my own being. Perfectly understandable insecurity because I've lived my whole life under the thumb of these religious systems that essentially demean who I am. But insecurity nonetheless. And that the answer for me is not to push back against them but to fortify my own sense of identity, to fortify my own sense of self and security. And so that when I find myself really, really upset, when I find myself really, really upset about what other people believe, 
that is a cue for me Mm, to go back and do some internal work to go back and do some internal work that doesn't mean i'm lacking and that that is not saying it's my fault no no No. (laughs) it is perfectly understandable Mm -hmm. and actually to be expected yeah and a very difficult thing to do and a very difficult Mm -hmm. thing to do but my i have taken it as a cue to say, okay, I'm I'm feeling really insecure because I have a lifetime of homophobia, external and internal. This is my cue to kind of work through it, breathe it out, maybe go for a run, mm-hmm. do some yoga, work with it, and then find that that place of peace. I will never have any control over what other people believe. Mm-hmm. And I've discovered that ironically, the greatest kind of control or the greatest kind of power over other mm-hmm. people is accepting just that. Yeah. And that is letting go. Is and that when I let those mm-hmm. people go and when I'm honest, you know, when people come to me and ask questions, I can answer sincerely and say, you know, this is where I am right now and here's why and here is why I don't find your approach valid anymore and just be very honest, very real and very blunt but very loving and to never invade or impose I find that much more helpful. Yeah. I find that way healthier. Also, good boundaries. You know, my life improved so much when I found a gay community and when I, when the primary ties in my life were with people who affirmed me. Yeah. And that, I and I think that's, that's something else to remember is that you can have different levels of intimacy in relationships. Maybe, maybe don't, try to have your most intimate relationships your inner circle be with people who with whom you deeply disagree uh and I'm not, i don't know if richard you know if richard or anybody else is doing that but that's what i found is that it, it's helpful to yeah and, and you know when you have that that secure circle of people who with whom you don't have this question of <laughs> are they are they dismissing my fundamental human experiences? It, when Are you they have... sitting across the table thinking you're going to hell? Like... Exactly. And they're just wearing a smile uh-huh. pretending to, to be civil. Um, when you don't have that in your in your most intimate connections, you know, the people who you see every day, the people you come home to, the best friends you have, uh, I think it makes interacting with people who, who don't affirm mm-hmm. your beliefs... It does make it easier. It makes it easier. And, you know, I I think that's one reason why I can now have these conversations Mm. with people who disagree with me, especially on LGBT issues, in a much more productive way. Is well, I don't come home to them every day. Yeah. (laughs) I don't. I feel like I'm very secure in my connections and my attachments and in my own being. I don't go home to a place that feels insecure. And so again, if we're feeling a lot of anguish over what other people believe, then maybe we need help in in creating that secure place for us. It's really only when we create that secure place that that I think we can effectively have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? That does and make sense. Is anything yeah. I'm saying sound like no. bullshit? <laughs> I mean, this, and I mean I'm really I'm really only talking from my own experience and yeah. and listeners are more than welcome to share their experience i never theirs. want to say that my experience defines mm-hmm. the whole of the gay christian community or the whole of the lgbt com- lgbt community or whatever um yeah no i mean that that all makes sense i think that's a good answer okay so let's move on to the yeah. next question so this is from ryan of grindhouse theology grindhouse Ooh. theology for those of mm-hmm. you who don't know is a horror and theology blog and gotta get in a plug yes really awesome guys i'm hoping to have them on the show uh later this month so uh he asks total churn (laughs) totally (laughs) different topic i'd love to hear a handful of films that have become dear to you over the years totally different no really different okay hmm you might need to go first uh well recently i would have to say the babadook is (laughs) I mean, I love horror. Horror is my favorite genre. People are always so astonished when they hear this that really just about the only thing I watch now is horror. Yeah. But The Babadook was particularly timely for me because it's kind of this fable about not pushing away the uncomfortable 
and yeah, yeah. it's this fable about uh, dealing with grief and depression and anxiety and all, all of which I have dealt with in pretty uh, difficult and horrifying ways. Hmm. And, you know, you the Babadook is a personification of all of those things. And I felt like I was just watching my life. <laughs> as horrifying as that sounds. And, and then at the end of the movie... <sighs> At the end of the movie, she comes to be at peace with the Babadook. And, and it lives in the basement. And, and it okay. lives in the basement of her house. And and I feel like that's where I am. And so that has been a particularly powerful movie for me in okay. recent years. Okay. My answer is going to seem so bubblegum next to yours. Dang it. That's okay. Um, <laughs> so, and this is not like favorite movie of all time, but movie I've seen recently, Wonder Woman. <laughs> Hey, I've heard I that it's actually really awesome. Love that movie. <laughs> I love, love, loved that movie because okay, so story time. Uh, does everybody remember <laughs> when Lord of the Rings came out all that time ago now? <laughs> and uh, there's the Battle of Helm's Deep in the Two Towers, and there's a scene that they sort of, you know, I, I don't, I can't remember if the book mentions this happening, but the movie showed it to me, and it hit me really viscerally. Where there's the Battle of Helm's Deep, and it shows them putting helmets and giving putting helmets on and giving swords to little tiny boys like eight to ten year old boys tiny boys who really are not going to be able to do very much who'll just be who are just going to be cannon fodder who will be killed by orcs and possibly eaten by them like and meanwhile they send perfectly able-bodied you know 20 something women into the caves to hide and that pissed me off so hard i remember that anyway. in, in high school you were so <laughs> so pissed. mad because those boys could not literally could not do anything but die they couldn't even lift those swords they were handing to them and uh, and the women sure they might not have been trained but neither were those boys and they probably could have at least lifted you know done something they stabbed could have an taken orc out at least throat. one or two at orcs. least one or two those little boys the, though know. no they were just they were just gonna die and it made me so angry. And so I, in other words, I have been waiting for this movie since then. I have been waiting for a since movie like Wonder Woman school. since I was in high school. Because the character of Diana in this movie, she is a princess. She is royalty. She is dignified and sure and very, very confident in that aspect of herself. She is never... I don't know. She she never sort of does that whole oh I'm a tomboy thing that I think is has been And she doesn't have to be a douchebag. No, she no. doesn't have to be an asshole mm-hmm. in order to be a strong female. And that's the other thing too is is people have people a lot smarter than me have discussed this for a long time that a lot of times when you have a quote badass female character, she does things that if a dude did them, he would be considered evil he would be considered exactly. an asshole but because she's a woman it's okay no diana is more is ethical she has great integrity she really really deeply cares about people all people yes. and and at the same time she does what has to be done she kicks ass she doesn't feel the need to downplay her femininity and again it's 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 almost as it's great it's as though how to put this she is a person who is female rather than, you know, some sort of warrior princess. And Absolutely. I, I so appreciate that about this film. Uh, I think it struck just the right note of, of here is an ethical superhero who has these powers and, and, you know, desires to live up to them and does a pretty good job of it. And she also happens to be female and it's not downplayed and it's not overly dwelt on. She's a person. Mm. She is a fully rounded character, and that is part of her character. And she gets to kick ass. And they designed the armor to, off of uh, off of like Roman military armor. So the armor looks like real armor and not like a sexy lingerie armor. And, <laughs> Good and what point. else? And uh, and she's she's at home with her sexuality. There are scenes in the movie where she very frankly and honestly talks about being a sexual being, a sexual person, mm. and it doesn't feel 
gratuitous and it doesn't feel forced. It simply feels like she is comfortable with herself and in her body and in herself. And uh, yeah, no, I so appreciated this movie. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. That isn't I... a bubblegum answer at all. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah, I no, have reasons, that's, dang it. <laughs> of course. Yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. Not a bubblegum answer <laughs> at all. Okay, so here's a question for me that you can read Okay. right there at the top. All right. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Timothy going right for the throat. He says, what was your biggest shock coming out? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest shock coming out was how delayed my emotional, romantic, and sexual maturity was because I was in the closet. Ooh. You know, I. this is one of the weird phenomenon of of being in the closet for so many years. So I came out, I, I genuinely, I mean, I was in and out of the closet. You but, were. But you really came to, came to grapple came with to it, came to accept it. Yeah. In my mid-20s, mm -hmm. mid to late yeah. 20s. That's when I was like, okay, I'm mm -hmm. gay. I have to deal with this and I have to come to terms with it. And, you know, when you spend your entire life, your entire adolescence and then a good portion of your adult life managing and shutting down your sexuality and romantic energies and relational energies out of fear, out of shame, you go through, you lose a huge amount of developmental progress. And all of those experiences, all those like formative experiences that you're supposed to have in middle school and high school and college, you don't have. You don't get them. You don't get to make the mistakes and learn No, from them. you don't. No. And so, you know, I know men who have come out in their 40s and 50s, and they are making mistakes and going through stuff that that you deal with. Like a 15-year-old might go through. Yeah, that you yeah. deal with as a 15-year-old, and, and it hurts more because of that. You know, when you're a teenager, you bounce back more. You're, you can bounce back more easily. Not when you are in your late 20s and you have to pay bills and you have a job, you have a full-time job, you have responsibilities, you have to keep your pets alive and what have you. Now, here's the funny thing. And I'm not saying that my experience is at all as intense or as uh, or is the same as coming out. But I grew up in a community where I was sort of encouraged to ignore yes. my romantic and sexual tendencies. Until just, you got married until you and got then married. you hit that and then switch. And suddenly you flip a Your switch. Your genitals are in cryogenic freeze yeah, until you until get married. Then. And even, even romantic attraction. Like I wasn't supposed to really pay attention to that until it was time to get married. And so I do feel like later in, in my 20s, I would say the same thing. I found myself making mistakes that if I had if I had paid more attention to all of this when I was a teenager, I would have made then and learned from. And so there was this added sense of shame that I was 20 something or, or you know, late mid late 20s and making these sort of very teenage mistakes. Mm. And I, it felt it felt shameful. You know, it felt like, man, if I'd made this mistake when I was 17, it would have been more understandable than when I was 27. Yes, Absolutely. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you said to me <laughs> when I, during, one of the things that you said to me during my mid-20s was, oh, no. Stephen, you're acting like an 18-year-old and it's driving me fucking crazy. Did I? Yes, Did you, I say that? you said that to me, okay. but it was a good point. Yeah, I mean, yeah. because that's what you were referring to mm -hmm. was, yeah, was, was, that was how suddenly it, it's almost like I had the emotional maturity and sexual maturity of an 18-year-old. Yeah. Or younger. Yeah, or, like, or younger. Actually younger. Mm -hmm. More like a 15-year-old. Yeah. Because I was in, in that cryogenic freeze mm -hmm. in the closet. And then you thawed. And then I thawed. <laughs> and I'm... Whew. And there's that part of me that's still that age, that, that was still that age. And I had to grow up really fast. That's I had the other to, thing that's hard about it is you have to make up for lost you time. You have to make up for lost time. And oh boy, did I make some mistakes. <laughs> and... Yeah, that was the biggest shock to me. And I think of all the things that aren't talked about when it comes to coming out, that's one of those things that just isn't discussed. Um, yeah, people don't seem seem to necessarily even be aware that it's a thing, or if it is, they just don't want to talk about it. Exactly. Or if they are aware. So I needed a lot of help 
when I came out of the closet because of that. And so fortunately, I had mentors and I had pastors and I had people who who were able to to kind of walk me through that. Older older gay guys yeah. who were kind of further down the road mm-hmm. than I was. Who were able, probably experienced similar things. Yeah, who had experienced yeah. similar things and were now in stable marriages and with, with other men. Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, come on. This is, this is how you do this. Nice. Um, so yeah, that is by far the <laughs> biggest shock that yeah. I had. You were like, oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next question. Okay. Um, this is from Donald. This is actually our mutual friend, Donald oh, Guffey. Donald Guffey. A yeah. dear friend of ours. If you could sit down with your 15-year-old self, what would, you, what would you say to him or her? Great question. More great questions. I have to give it to my readers, by the way. They ask fantastic questions. They ask, questions. <laughs> they ask fantastic Good, questions. questions. Hmm. All right. Well, mine's super simple, and it's going to sound really cliche. But honestly, I think what I would say to my 15-year-old self is, relax it's gonna be okay yeah i was just thinking the exact same <laughs> calm thing. down it's gonna be okay yeah i mean that that's the thing that i would tell oh. myself too is mm-hmm. calm down you're okay mm-hmm. everything is gonna be okay gonna be okay i mean there were times in my life when it was definitely not okay but, but they're only times but they're, they're only, only times seasons. and yeah. you know this is actually this point in my life i'm 29 now is maybe the most like stable mm-hmm. and happy time i've ever been i mean happy... having known you for 15 years and looking uh, yeah. from the outside in i it seems to be yeah, yeah this and i would tell my younger self things that i heard later in life but i wish i had learned when i was 15 sure such as it's okay to make mistakes mm-hmm. it is okay to question things mm-hmm. um and not only it's going to be okay but you, you are okay. Exactly. You are okay. <laughs> you are okay. It, yeah. Mm-hmm. And that there, the other thing that I wish someone had told me is that there's no rush. Yeah. You oh, know, yeah. I, f- mm-hmm. I was just under so much pressure. And, and I look at, I look at teenagers in general and I'm just like, there is so much pressure for them to figure out their life, mm-hmm. for them to figure out what college they're going to, to figure out their career, to mm-hmm. figure out their romantic relationships, yeah. to figure out. Yeah. And and I'm not advocating laziness. No, of course I'm just not. just advocating. Just time. Time. You're a, there's, mm-hmm. It's okay to be patient and, it, mm-hmm. and it's okay to, there's Make space. Mistakes. There yeah. is enough space to figure this shit out. There really is. Because I think some of the biggest mistakes that I made were because, ironically, I was afraid to make mistakes or I wanted something too quickly. I wasn't re- willing to be patient. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the things that was told to me when I was struggling in the closet and I was struggling with, you know, what I believe about being gay. What do I believe about myself? A very wise person said to me, you have more than enough time to figure this out. There is no rush. There is no rush to come to a conclusion. There's no, you know, take your time and don't let anyone rush you. Uh, that was very, very good advice. Yeah. Yeah. So there the, are 15 year olds out there. The other thing, the other, well, and you know, another thing that I, that I've learned recently that I wish I had learned in high school was stop being, stop being so distracted. Mm. Value focus Mm -hmm. and i feel like social media especially just destroyed my capacity for focus destroyed my capacity for focus and all the best things all the most enjoyable things come by way of focus and i drank the kool-aid thinking that distraction created happiness you know what i mean I do, but I was a hermit and a Luddite, so I didn't have the same problem. Yeah, no, I totally, that was totally my problem. <laughs> uh, and then social media came along, and I feel like I just lost like a decade of my life to social media. Ugh, I man. really do feel that way. Where I think I, I think I lost, a, well, if I, if I were to say that I lost time to anything at that age, it's, uh, yeah, just being insecure, worrying that I wasn't mm, good enough physically, absolutely. emotionally, intellectually, just whatever. Oh, way. God, me too. Yeah, just being insecure. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which is natural, but yeah. Cool. All right. Next question. Okay. So this is another question from Timothy going for the jugular. <laughs> uh, he's this, good job, Timothy. I think I think Timothy is is determined to to get me um, killed by the Christians. That Ooh. question right there. All right. <laughs> well, okay. 
I think I think he left out a word here. So the the question verbatim says, "Do you believe Jesus was born a virgin?" But I think he's trying to no. say, <laughs> "Do you believe, yeah, do you believe Jesus was born of, of a virgin?" Of a virgin. Sure. Okay. So I hope he was born I bu- a virgin. I really hope he was born a virgin. <laughs> Sorry, Timmy. That would get there could be a oh, really man. weird spin-off cult oh, based gosh. on that. Oh no, let's not. No. Uh, so do we believe that or you know, Stephen, I uh, do we believe that Jesus was born of a virgin? Was Mary a virgin when she oh, gave birth? Oh god. This is one of those questions that I just try to avoid answering. Huh. In short, hmm. because of my view of science and how I can, you know, I've I've kind of laid down that that foundation for myself that I cannot go beyond the magisterium of science when it comes to external truth claims. Whether Jesus was born of a virgin is an external truth claim, Mm -hmm. and it would take an extraordinary amount of evidence to prove it to be true. Mm -hmm. And I find that science-based method of understanding the world so far as the most accurate and helpful way to understand the material universe and that and so the claim of whether Jesus was born of a virgin or not that is a claim about the material universe I would have to say until science can somehow prove it I can't back it okay and that's fair yeah uh whereas I think I would say yes in general (laughs) sure science empirical evidence wonderful things we have not you know seen it is not reproducible you cannot you cannot perform the scientific method on on was jesus born of a virgin however i have had certain experiences and um also i've i've heard tell of verifiable other experiences that others have had to the point that i do believe that sometimes God interferes in the workings of the material world in such a way that the or that he he supervenes the ordinary laws of science, the the way that things usually work. And, you know, I believe that that's a possibility. I believe that there should be some pretty strict and stringent tests applied to things like that. And how we judge that. And how that, we yeah. judge that. And so it's it's a complicated answer. But also also let's let's take the word believe. Obviously, I don't claim to have proof that Jesus was born of a virgin. I have none. But I would say that I choose to believe it. Yes. Sure. I believe that the Holy Spirit has the power and the capacity to create life inside a woman, you know, to to fertilize a woman's egg. I don't know how to say that, but to to overshadow a woman and to make her pregnant and Mm. to have her bear a son. I, I do believe that the Holy Spirit has that power and capacity uh, I don't have proof that he did it in this case, but I choose to believe it. Good answer. Yeah. Awesome. So I'll probably get a lot of heat. <laughs> probably. <laughs> and, you know, another a really this this is kind of tangential, but it's a pet peeve of mine is that when I, you know, when I say stuff like that, people say, oh, you have a low regard for biblical tradition, for, for Christian tradition or a low mm-hmm. regard for scripture. I have a low view. Let me just correct that right now. I have a very high view. What are you laughing at? I'm not laughing. I had to burp. I'm okay. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you... <laughs> I was covering my mouth. It's doing... Why? No. I... <laughs> I to to hold a non literal view of scripture is not a low view of scripture. Yeah. No. Not at all. Not at all. Anyway. No. So the last question that I have, and this is from Justin. This is this will be a great question for Ooh, you. Okay. Uh-oh. If the Bible shows so much patriarchy, why should we support feminist theology? Ooh. <laughs> oh, Justin. Okay. All right. Great question. <laughs> That's a really good question. Um mm. first of all, there are great books on this. There are. Read there Jesus are. Feminist by by Sarah Bessie. Read Jesus absolutely. Feminist by Sarah Bessie. Read stuff by Rachel Held Evans. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, read uh, A Year of Biblical Womanhood yes. by Rachel Held great. Evans. Great. So there is already some yeah. really, really great stuff out there that we can point mm-hmm. you to. Highly recommend it, especially if you are a woman in the church. Please. Please yeah. read this Please stuff. Please reach it out will and be... read this stuff. It might just save your faith. Yeah. And yeah. and it's very empowering stuff. And mm-hmm. so if you're a woman in the church, please, please, please. Yeah. Read, yeah. read this reach stuff. Out and read this stuff. Hmm. Hmm. Steven, you want to take a stab at this, though? Uh, <laughs> sure. I mean, I think the I think the most 
Well, okay, so for me, I think that there is an overarching narrative in in Scripture. Now, the Bible obviously has a lot of really horrific stuff in it, especially especially towards women. I mean, there are... There's some like I could give you a list, but I, this podcast would become X-rated. Yeah, horrific stuff in scripture about about rape, about uh, sexual slavery, uh, which I mean, same diffo, but um, about murder and exploitation and human force sacrifice and human sacrifice of yeah. women. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Short list, but it's pretty horrifying. Yeah, I think though that ultimately we have to build a foundation on of of what the bible is i believe that the bible is about human beings struggling to understand god and that it is not necessarily about god but it's about god in a tangential way in a roundabout way and mm-hmm. that it is human beings understanding god over the course of centuries millennia millennia yeah. and what i see in the scriptures is a redemptive arc a forward movement mm-hmm. towards egalitarianism. Absolutely. I think that there is this that that there is this evolution that you can read within that you can observe within scripture of you know starting with barbaric and horrific approaches towards women progressing towards a more egalitarian mm-hmm. understanding of women. Yeah. Uh, there's also the, the fact that Jesus uh, seemed to hold a very high opinion of women. Yeah. And mm-hmm. some of his most intimate followers, that sounds weird. Some of his, some of his most most devoted followers followers and revered followers. Yeah, followers whom he seemed to be close to and to respect and to to value. And and the first ministers, the first preachers was a woman. Yeah, no, the the Greek Orthodox Church considers Mary Magdalene the first evangelist. The first evangelist. Because she saw Christ and came back to report, he is risen. Exactly, you know, Mm -hmm. and... And so Jesus had a very high opinion of women. And so you go from the book of Leviticus to Jesus, and there is that progression towards a more egalitarian view of the sexes. Mm -hmm. And I think that that evolution, that progression sets the precedent for evolution today. Evolution in history. For a continued progression. For a continued yeah. progression. That we should not stop moving towards <clears throat> greater equality and greater Absolutely. You know, respect and mutual respect and, and all of that between the, between the sexes. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Another thought is that also just because all the, men, all the disciples were men mm. is more a statement about the culture of the day. Well, the disciples who are talked about most and who became apostles. Let's yes, clarify. Because exactly. Jesus did have a number of female disciples. And, you know, mm-hmm. let's also not forget that, and I have I have some issues with this, and which I can get into in a minute, but the the mother of Christ has traditionally been the most revered figure in the entire Christian faith. The most revered human, absolutely. The most revered mm-hmm. human yeah. in Christian, at least in Orthodox and, and Catholicism, yeah. is a woman. Now, I have some issues with that. Because, with how she is, has been with revered. With how and, she has yeah. been revered. And mm-hmm. I think that I think that, that reverence does not translate into real world no. You no. know, because, because women are ways, still... In some ways, she was weaponized. In, in some, some ways, ways, that reverence became uh, a, uh, an oppressive standard for women to live up to. Absolutely. <laughs> instead of, um, you know, instead of a recognition so, of the beauty and holiness of their femininity. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. so there are, there are issues with it. And, you know, I, I think a, com- a common response that I've heard from traditional christians is uh well you know the church isn't actually anti-women look we have mary the most revered figure in the church sure but but. (laughs) just because you revere a woman in 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 ethereal spiritual sense does not mean you actively that you you acknowledge the personhood of real women exactly and so it is not Mm -hmm. to say that the most revered human being in christianity is a woman is not to say that the church does not oppress women Mm -hmm. and let me make clear too by by most revered human being i mean most revered human being who is not fully god and fully human yes good point (laughs) excellent point just wanted to clarify in case people are like ah Ah! i do believe that jesus is fully god and fully human and so 
Anyway, oh, um, but I like, swear Christians are the most trigger happy people oh I've ever met. They, these hair it triggers counts on on a phrase or a word. On a phrase, anyway. it's it's uh, you know they call campus kids snowflakes. I'm like, have you met a <laughs> conservative met Christian? Yourselves? Holy yeah. shit! Anyway, um, but to bring up maybe maybe a parallel example would be would be useful here. Uh, for example, the Bible's treatment of another group that was othered and somewhat dehumanized Gentiles. Absolutely. Uh, if you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament's treatment of Gentiles uh, was largely genocide. Like Joshua coming into the promised land with, with the fledgling nation of Israel and supposedly wiping out entire populations of people. And then, you know, as the narrative goes on, Gentiles are the villains. They are, you know, less than, they are other, they are all of these different things that are just terrible. And then by the time you get to the New Testament, you have Paul being coming an apostle to them and, and saying things like, you worship god and you do not know it uh mm. when he went to the acropolis and so you know you, you again you have this parallel progression of a group that was other and less than and dehumanized and sometimes brutalized yes. and, and i mean kind of paradoxically there's the opposite progression in christian history mm. where the jewish people yeah. <laughs> were horribly marginalized yeah. and maligned by Brutalized, all three, excluded. all three branches mm -hmm. of Christianity. Yeah, and it wasn't until after the Holocaust, yeah, that that Christianity started to come around. I mean, mm -hmm. zero excuse. I mean, it took a it took millennia. It took yeah. a millennia, and it took a tragedy mm -hmm. so huge that it it's kind it's of unforgivable, yeah. and it's unfathomable. And kind of unforgivable, but the church did come around, and now we don't even know in our day and age that for close to a millennia. Well, I would say sort of your average Christian who goes to church every Sunday, or even your your average devout Christian who goes to church every Sunday doesn't has seems to have forgotten. That have, that oh, was totally. A thing. Yeah. And you know the Christianity, I think, especially in evangelicalism and well, the Protestant yeah. world, has a very short memory. Protestant Christianity does not have a terribly long memory. <laughs> it's no. very not short. Not in my experience. Very short memory. Not in my experience. And um, and so when people say, "Well, no, doctrine can't change," I'm sorry. Yes, the it hate, can. <laughs> the hatred of the Jews. Uh huh. Is a prime was example. A, was a pretty foundational yeah. piece um, of theology in all at, three branches. You could also look at slavery as an example yes. of that. Yes. Look at slavery. Mm -hmm. yeah. Look at the approach to, mm -hmm. towards Judaism. Yeah. The approach towards sexuality in general. Mm -hmm. You know, Protestant and Anglican churches have come around to affirming contraception. Yeah. That would have been taboo. Oh my gosh! Even a hundred years ago. Yeah, especially. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The idea that sex can be for pleasure. Yeah. That is a very recent concept mm -hmm. in the church. Yeah. That is very, um, very recent. Any denomination, well, back to feminism, any denomination that <clears throat> affirms the ordination of women, that is so new. That yes. is so new. So yeah. anyone who says doctrines can't, can't change, doctrines can't change, um, bullshit. <laughs> they have. And they they have and they do and they will keep changing, thank God, right? because the arc of scripture is a story of progression. And the church is following are, in that progression. We are becoming more like Christ. We are called to become and are becoming, hopefully, ideally, you know, hopefully, dear Lord, please, more like Christ. And yes. so change will happen and is happening. And is happening. Mm -hmm. And I think the ordination of women, equal rights, uh, mm -hmm. acceptance of minorities, uh, acceptance of LGBT people <laughs> is all part of that. And that is my opinion. So, and that's the best we can give. That is, opinion. is that is the best we can <laughs> give. All right. Well, I think that's our show. Is there anything else that you'd like to add, Danielle? Not really, except uh, once again to say that your readers ask really good questions. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully we can do this again. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> so if you have any questions that you'd like us to answer, tweet them at me or email them to me or message them to me on Facebook or, or however, send a send an owl to me. Uh, send a carrier pigeon. We promise to ramble in response. We will ramble <laughs> so hard in response and probably not answer any of your questions. But it's a lot of fun, and I yeah. hope that you've enjoyed this too. Mm -hmm. Well, so the music is 
by Matt Langston, The Jelly Rocks. The artwork is by Justin Caleb Bryant. If you enjoy the show, please do go write a positive review on iTunes. And uh, that will really help me get a lot more views and expand my reach. Also, if you enjoy my work and want to see and read more of it, you can go to my website at sbradfordlong.com where you can read my dozens of articles about faith and doubt and LGBT issues and mental health and all sorts of stuff. You can also become a patron there and support my work. I'm working so hard, I kind of look like a meth addict right now or like a a homeless person (laughs) or a mental patient. I mean, I work a full-time job and each episode takes about 10 hours to produce. Each episode takes about 10 hours to produce. And that is all me doing all of that, doing the scheduling, the web work, the social media, the editing, all of it is me. This is a one-man show going on right now. I love doing it. I'll continue to try to get you an episode out every week. But if you want to help financially, please consider becoming a Patreon. Uh, a patron. Let me try that again. Please consider becoming a patron on Patreon. And you can find that at my website, S. Bradford Long. All right. I will see you next week. Say bye. Bye. <laughs>